Welcome to the How to Pair Beer with Everything podcast, episode number five, brought to you by NEPAScene.com. This week, we are joined yet again by the wonderful George, who at this point we'll call an official co-host with Rich and myself. Uh, We dive into a variety of subjects this week, no real central theme, but just kind of dancing around the theme of art and paying homage to your real roots. We'll put it that way. But if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach out through NEPAScene.com. That's N-E-P-A-S-C-E-N-E.com. Hope you're enjoying, and let's just get the thing started. thought the South would have uh, approved of babies drinking beer bottles. Damned if I know. <laughs> All right, so with that, uh, kicking things off again this week, we have another lovely one. Uh, this week on the radio show, we have Heretics Brewing, and we got to talk to their owner, main brewer of Miller Brewing Scott, who is very well known in the home brew community. Uh, are you familiar with his name, Miller Brewing? I might be off. No. seemed like it was pressure that pushed him into it to have it as his brewery because he kind of like just as we talked about it it's kind of this really intensive like rebirth type thing that he enjoys but it's work uh so his beers are phenomenal we got him on the radio show this week and he was like all right i was literally gonna do it his beers are great this was actually one that we didn't get to fit on the radio show because we just don't can't do it we couldn't um this is their petite rose it's a belgian not as much into beer, uh, I feel like a lot of people when they hear Belgian beer think something that we would consider as Belgian rebirth, it's like dark, red, heavier, creamy, sweet kind of beer, um, but there's like so many variations on that, and this is just a really nice one to have, it's like a Belgian golden style, just viscous, a viscous is something you don't get to see a lot in a lot of breweries, but I think it'd be huge if you were a Belgian kind of beer buff, like that's your taste, if you like it. No, not me. No. You're good. <laughs> the color on it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it, it was one of those things, as soon as I poured it, you immediately see there is hibiscus in this for sure. And this is what hibiscus tea looks like, too. It's, it's this like really light ruby red color to it. Um, it's not dark red. It's just, it's just a really nice light. Is that ruby? Is that the actual color? I'm not sure, though. I, I think so. I feel like the jewel is... 
Yeah, reddish. Change quite a bit. That you know, some fans 
pretty pissed about uh, because I mean Ant Man was a founding editor. Uh, he did not do the Avengers movies at all. Uh, wasn't even mentioned until now. Uh, same with the Wasp. The Wasp is is kind of in it. I don't want to give anything away because it is a. I think you did. Thing. Spoiler alert! But the Wasp is in it. But they're you know I mean uh, the thing is 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 again she's also a founding Avenger. She's the one who uh, you know first says the name. Phrases like "Hails to Astonish" and things like that. You know, the is the original comic of Man of Steel and, and things like that was was part of the dialogue and stuff. Those, those are you know little little things like that. So uh, I think as a fan, you just kind of have to accept that you know th- th- things need updates and tape and things like that, and kind of you know roll with that. And then at the at the same time, as long as you know, I, I think in this case, I think they could do a lot more with it than they could say more of a, a character like. Spider-Man is beloved by you know millions, maybe even say billions across the world. Uh, so people are much more uh, specific about what you can and can't do with Spider-Man, or what you should or shouldn't do with Spider-Man, as opposed to Ant-Man, where I think you have a little more creative room because, I mean, let's be honest, there's just not that many you know hardcore Ant-Man fans, and you know I, I like the Avengers movies. I mean, there, I mean, I can't say that I've ever really like gone out of my way to buy an Avengers book with Ant-Man. And since they've kind of screwed with the character over the years in terms of like you know who he is and, and what kind of person he is and stuff like that, I can see the kind of why, why they chose the stuff that they did with Sony. But the movie's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, I've, I've read like so many books. I mean, that was one of the movies that I didn't write it off, but it was just very kind of not the right time yet. Right behind the scenes, that I was like, this is you thought it was going to be a train wreck, and I, I've heard almost Honestly, nothing but glowing reviews. I I mean, I think they saved it. I think what they did was they, they probably kept, you know, a lot of the smarter stuff from the original script and uh, just kind of added in, you know, their obligatory, we need to make this into a franchise type of thing and, you know, add a bunch of references here and there. And well, the thing that's funny, like, I don't know how many of you guys still remember the, the remake of the war movie that we all were sure would be the, oh Jap- yeah. the Japanese remake and everything. And oh, God. Th- that's the stuff that makes me wonder, though, is, The Ring was the probably the only one of the U.S. remakes that was good. <laughs> that's the best way to put it. Like that, it was actually like a watchable film. But the rest of them was like they were trying to reinvent, and I watched them, and they're still more uh, of a suck. <laughs> it just it doesn't make sense when you go back and you read those Japanese things. Like all they had to fucking That's the, I mean, that's problem number one right there, the fact that, you know, I mean, should this be able to import the film and watch it because yeah. every other country is expected to do that because, you know, Hollywood is, is you know, the producer of, of films. I mean, yeah, you know, movies are made in other countries, but not to the extent that they are here. So everyone else feels that, you know, translated and in many cases poorly translated films from America overseas. Uh, so, but we've, 
over here we have this bias in wanting to uh, have this. And, and I remember being, you know, I worked in a video store and we had people all the time who would just not see a film if it had subtitles. Or, yeah. you know, any, and, and, and to me it was ridiculous because it was like, you know, these are some of the best films in the whole store, but they just refuse to, to you know, oh, I, w- I don't want to read, you know, read the film. It's like, no, because you don't want to. was the one to read a book and read the book. <laughs> there's, there's, first of all, there's very little reading involved. Yeah, you um, don't even know that you're doing it. Right. Once it start, like, the initial thought sometimes is just kind of tedious and like, but once you start doing it, you don't even want to read it anymore because it's right. part of the watching. It's not like you have to look up the scene or see an actual book about it. Like, what's he saying? You're like, okay, I'll translate I, it. Like, I think that comes from the whole, you know, now we, we want films to be background noise yeah. as opposed to a real experience. You know, people are on their phones the whole time. Right, I was texting. just about to get to that. They're looking at other people. They're talking through the whole damn thing. It's like, it, you, could, you can barely go to a movie, you know, in theater, you know, and you're paying good money at that point. And it is good money at that point because, I mean, it's, you know, $10 or more to see a film, and that's around here. And when you go to New York or somewhere else, it's, you know, sometimes twice that. Forget if you want to see it in 3D or whatever else, and they always sell it in digital, but digital just isn't used to that here. And, you know, I would go back to the theater for this, and it's more, you know, they have all those crackers <laughs> and crackers in it. There's a theater down in Baltimore that has that. Sorry, Jake, I didn't mean to take that. No, I, I was just moving. I was just moving from the mic. Oh, uh, um, no, there's a theater down, I think it's in the Baltimore region, because that's one of the original theaters that started the Tingler. Um, did, you ever, did you see that growing up? Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen the movie. to watch it on DVD because it was a part of the movie where he stops and speaks to the audience and says, oh, it's in the theater. It's moving. Like, he starts talking to the audience like blatantly. And you're watching it at home like, Jesus Christ. Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. But, like, during that part, they had in the theater certain chairs hooked up to this electrical thing. It was like a mini electric chair, basically, which is not how it is now. No. Anywho. Um, and it was just randomly scattered theater and there was a guy in the back I think initially it was William Plaza because he stayed there when the movie just started to run here and he, he just hit the button and just shocked people and people would just be like randomly jumping up screaming in the theater that's and awesome yeah this is an awesome idea in fact people would spread that around because they started putting it in all the theaters I think it's in Baltimore the stuff I've done that still has the original thing but you can look what people started to do is go in and they would look under all the seats and see the film and choose the shit that way <laughs> Initially, people had no idea what was going on because it was creeping everybody out. Yeah. But that's the stuff that's like, there's, that's like a requirement and it's so sad that it's like now we have this rehash and, and it's, you know, other Japanese films, I just remember seeing, um, what was Kiki from? Joshua, what the hell's his name? Oh, Joshua Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I know all about Joshua Jackson. <laughs> you, you said I he, he, was, he was in the Skulls and he was also in Mighty Ducks. You gotta remember him from the docks. What I was thinking was he was in the remake of that Shutter Show. I think that's what it's called. It was a Japanese one where it was, you know, it was that era when every Japanese war movie has the creepy looking girl with long black hair and the weird fucking creepy chief jump scare. Yeah, but like they they did. I forget the original one, but it was just like the remake was just coming out so bad. And the, like all the original Japanese ones, like they're not the greatest thing. I mean, the original Ringu was really good because you didn't know what it was. That was one of the first ones that, that I saw of that. Um, every other was such 
And then I, d- I think once they broke down that barrier, then it became more about well, let's be more broader than we even know already, mm-hmm. because then it became uh, uh, very much about franchise rights. And at, at first, I think it was remakes of, of, of movies that you know you can probably count on that most people in America hadn't heard of, or you know movies that maybe were were small you know independent films or things like that that you know no one was going to get hooked without a computer. And then eventually they kind of got bold and started really you know taking those movies that a lot of people hold dear and just saying well we're going to remake this and then whether you like it or not and i think the problem is is that you have many many people who you know say oh well don't ruin my franchise don't do this you know here's my ten dollars to go watch yeah. it oh yeah how bad this is well you wanted to see how bad it is you're still putting money in that pocket they don't know that they yeah. know you went to see it right they made money they don't give a fuck why they know they did that's all they really care about. They, a lot of times, they know, like, I'm going to get this one to ruin it. That's why you see a lot of those remakes that have problems finding directors that that have any name at, at all that's not Tom Hanks. Nobody wants to touch that because they know what that's going to do to them. Right. Because they, they know, like, you can give me the best script in the world and say, look, put it on paper. You can edit this however you want to appeal to, like, a mass audience. And, like, that's what the problem with all of this is, is they keep trying to cast a huge net to grab as many people as they can, whereas like a lot of these original ones, it, it was a niche. It, it was just, it was a real niche kind of horror thing. They were making it for themselves, ultimately. That's horror movies that we all love. They actually mostly wrote and directed them because they just wanted to do it. They, they weren't trying to be clever and put it out as like a franchise movie to say, hey, we have these original ones, you guys don't and they tried to broaden the audience because they wanted to make money, not trying to get jobs. Right. And it just it, it became it was inevitable. It's not and that's what's it's one of those things is like, are we as audience members saying we're too stupid to get this, or is Hollywood saying we're too stupid to get this and pushing it? Right. And that's where it's like that's give and take is really hard to figure out at this point. Because because a lot of people say you know well. They get what made the original good, or what what made the original work, or something to that order. But you know, what, what, why don't why don't they get the essence of it, or whatever? And I, I think it's one of those things where uh, most of the time that's that's kind of magic in a bottle. You know, you can't you know plan on that happening. It just kind of happens. You know, it becomes an organic thing where eventually it gets accommodated. And you know, people repeat the lines over and over and put them on T-shirts and things until eventually it just becomes. You know, such a such an iconic part of you know who those people are and, and their lives and things like that. You can't you can't just create that. And you see a lot of times where Hollywood will try and create that, and ninety nine percent of the time it falls flat on its face. Yeah, they, they think it's just a recipe to follow. Like, I mean, a lot of times it is numbers that they're they're banking their character. They're like, mm, this kind of character is this type of thing and this type of setting and this location. That made us this amount last time. Let's put that into this movie. Because a lot of the things, like when you see the the sequels and stuff, especially to Hellfest, the script had nothing to do with the sequel. It got pigeonholed and shoehorned into, oh, this is hot now. We'll take this script that you wrote on your own that had, you know, Jason's not even in, and, uh, you know, we'll just shove him in there, and here you go. Here's my new sequel. And they put it out. And that, that's what they've been doing with a lot of those types of things, and it just ruins everything for a lot of people. And that's the thing I, I, I'm sad 
this point, how have you gone from a Saturday you make money at Young and Giant to that's where DVD sales are thriving, that's where Blu-ray sales are thriving, that's where people are paying to watch it online still, or going to a theater even. Are these genres that you are sitting in? And it's just hard to not get that when you are doing this for yourself and everybody else. Because Hollywood now, like with, with their horror movie bar, it's it's uh, not centralized. It's just not happening. And that's where Crush is really nailing it. But I mean, Crush, it, and it, it was thinking back, because I was coming up with this the other day, it, it was that was the thing when when we were kids, though. Because the generation before us grew up on Disney Plus, you know, there was no real goal. I mean, hell, Endgame had to have been in there and stuff like that, but there was no real uh, adore. Even the ones that grew up on, you know, the Universal Monsters, you know, it's like these were those things back then. These were, you know, I'm sure they were. I'm not saying this isn't for us anymore. And now, you know, we're just kind of like, here we are. <laughs> yeah. But part of me doesn't, I almost feel like it's sad because the stuff that's coming out now isn't pushing the envelope. It's just not saying anything more that, you know, when we were younger, we didn't have something like the old Hallmark. Well, there was reasons those movies were written to say something. And you have, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of movies that have more undercurrent of, of a, a point that's made during the trying to get some sort of message across people in, 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 a, in a different way. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm curious why movies like uh, like They Live aren't saying more about yeah. it because you see something like that and uh, it, 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 you know, sure, it, it you know, has its cheese ball moments and things like that, but I think what, what makes it iconic isn't just the, the fact that, you know, you have uh, the professional wrestler in the film or that you have the fight scenes in the film. Alleyway fight scenes. Um, you know, cool, uh, cool effects for the time and things like that. I think you know what what sticks with you is it, it has that underlying message. Yeah, it's you know, something you walk away from instead of just mem- like remembering like. Well, because that's what a lot of the movies now you remember those scenes of you know the horror movie like Kill or things like that. You don't remember Frankenstein looking at you. It right. There's nothing you can say. There's there's no redeeming qualities. But the whole character is being there's nothing being said. Well, you, you know, look at like George Romero zombie films versus practically every other zombie film that we see. You know, there's there's so many of them now. It's it's unbelievable how fast they're pumped out. You know, I have a friend who uh, you know edits films and and, and uh, does does uh, you know side work at, 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 aside from his uh, his main stuff, and he he probably gets offers all the time. send them to DVD to make a quick buck, you know, all the time, you know, it's just like, here, here's a bunch of crap footage, just smash this together into something that we can put on, you know, for an hour and a half, and throw it on a DVD, and, and it's all the day. Some of those can be so, like, have you ever, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Cool Jive, I don't know if you ever heard of this, it's like, look this up, it's a, it's a real movie, um, I'm going to think of his name now, as a talent director, but it is the funniest thing. It, it was basically, if any, it was supposed to be another rip-off of Jaws, but what they did was they shot all these scenes with, with no sets, but there was nothing there, 
Undeniably, undeniably. Nice. Not by me. <laughs> Sharknado 3 is coming. Did you not see it? I, I watched about maybe 10 minutes of the first one. So that's oh, with Ian Zierling? <laughs> not Ian, Ian. Ian yeah. And then the second one actually had Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. Yeah, they. Yeah, he was one of the mains. Um, they just did a riff tracks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know what I would admit to uh, more. Um, writing the song "I Just Want to Fly" or being in Sharknado. That's that's a toss up for me. I'm, I'm assuming so. I mean, me and like five other guys. I think like me, five other guys, and a dude named Jeff saw Sharknado too. Like that's the well, people that I went for. All five of us matter, so. I hope. How do you get one of those? I wanna, I wanna get one just to like mess with them.
system now accurately detecting what's actually what's happening right now because it, Pinsync changed a lot, but they initially weren't even able to grab onto a DLL dynamic map if they had no way of calculating. You couldn't track it through a storage chart. It was either live or never. So a lot of the stuff fell through the cracks, but more popular shows, and that's why you started to see a lot of really popular shows that had a good following were from Pinsync because all they needed to go by was the Nielsen rating, and that's why you started to see a lot of those networks start to put their stuff on that website because then they have their own way to track numbers that can be tracked and gain behavior and all that stuff because that was a way for them to track. Whereas before it was Nielsen or nothing and it pissed off a lot of people and they had some pretty good pinsync parameter charts. And I don't know what's going on. I mean, they're, they're trying to have to actually kind of have fun with it a little bit by making it more shareable so that it's shareable so that like instead of even releasing it once, it releases like once and not by what they can and technology and You'd think by now with the technology that we do have, they would be able to track aggregate data for everything. This should be easy to get a working plan and just basically plug it into the people on our back and say you can get the going. Oh, easily. Yeah, I think they probably still have like old school like Huron cable wire in the back and run down to run into the TV and run it up. It only hooks into a TV that has the knob on the front that goes from U to 13. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but there's just like so much within that, and it's just funny to see the way, uh, like, or funny is not a good thing to say. Like, it's become the buzzword thing instead of a real new way. Of, like, and that's why all the down trends have started to get more of a following. But the problem is, is that the the buzz is just so constrained for everyone now that it makes it so much more difficult to get to the point where now everyone's basically an electronics dealer.
don't happen to have that day off or that time or whatever. And then on top of that, you know, a lot of these companies charge a decent amount of money for extra security services that you're not getting. You know, quote unquote events like Final Tap and companies that uh, where they're broadcasting, you know, across the country from their place. You're 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 paying too much for for a day off or whatever. So it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's definitely you know, in this this world everything's kinda compounded and you don't have that much extra money there. So, you know, convenience is the name of the way to go. But unfortunately when you read that out of that ebook it's just it's not kinda not as subtle as it might seem. Yeah, you got to see I I didn't see it, you got to see it. But it was I heard that was fantastic. (laughs) Please tell me all the details. Spoiler alerts guys Hang on. This is uh, for the few people that might drive by. Yeah, there. but there is there is a if if you if you want to read all about it, there is a full review on Amazon. Uh, one of the few reviews out there because not many people have seen the stuff or will have the opportunity to see the stuff. And it's just this is like you know we were talking about how you can't really create a cult classic like you know on purpose. You know you have to kind of do it. This is absolutely not that at all. No question. As soon as you start, you're maybe 15 minutes in before you realize this is definitely on the lines of uh, medieval fiction and magic. Like the biggest comparison I have, which it was humorous to me because I didn't think that many people even saw the room or knew what the hell the room was. But there's enough people in the room that knew what the hell that was, and it was amazing to me because uh, you know a lot of those movies uh, I've saw I've I've gone after them. So I went into this movie, first of all, knowing that it had a bad reputation and knowing how disgusting it was with it. Just, I, I, I knew that this was going to be a disaster. And it, it really exceeded everybody's expectations from that standpoint. Now, there were other people that they, they got through 10, 15 minutes and they walked out. There were people who honestly thought, you know, they were going to see a real film. Which you can't oh, yeah. go I in. You can't that. go into this. <laughs> to, I guess to give to give a little bit of background, uh, there was a guy, uh, an actor, uh, Paul Sorvino, who's known for Goodfellas and Knives Out. Um, Goodfellas and Goodfellas. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, he, he's he's like you know third bad guy in the background. You know, all the time he's a nice kid, whatever. But um, he he uh, he was friends with uh, an actor, uh, Jason Myers, who uh, you know he's uh, the, the priest in Knives Out. He was uh, a brilliant guy, but real struggled. Uh, he was a, a, an alcoholic and eventually he uh, moved back to Scranton after kind of doing a typical Hollywood thing right away and, uh, and died uh, because of his alcoholism. Uh, Paul Servino was a, a friend of his for many years. He had acted in, in like his play and things like that. Uh, he was doing a movie adaptation of his play that was going to be on TV. So uh, he was always a fan of the Scranton area. He was born and raised in PA. Had a house close to nearby here. I don't know if he still oh, has that. In, yeah, in Northeast PA, but it was one of you know other. Uh, yeah, he, had, he he did have more than one, uh, but it was one house that he had here. I don't know if he still has it. But anyway, he's uh, <laughs> you would you would think he got in with uh, the commissioners at the time uh, were were these two uh, very corrupt Republicans who uh, ended up a couple years later actually getting brought up corruption charges and are now in federal prison. So it tells you what kind of guys they are. They thought it would be great to take, uh, you know, uh, Scranton was like Lake and Lackawanna County. So they took Lackawanna County tax dollars, $500,000, 
the difference is between a movie. Now, most people know that movies are valued by how much they grossed. Yeah. Never mind a tax bill on that film. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is something where Paul Sorvino said, oh, yeah, you're going to get some money back from them if I make this movie. Or you must be so prolific. <laughs> right. Like, you know, yeah, Goodfellas worked because Scorsese was involved. This is – Scorsese, this is not. I will, I will say that. So he took this script that was written by his daughter that apparently he's now estranged from and Ace is Dust, which is really interesting. Uh, this, th- there's just more and more wrinkles to this thing all the time. And, and again, this is what makes a cult classic. The story behind it as much as the story you want to tell and failing at that. Uh, so in this case, uh, this daughter writes this, this little uh, weird uh, drama that um, I, I can't imagine anyone who read this script and thought this was a good idea because they shopped it around. His daughter wrote this? His daughter wrote it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, so he shopped it around. He couldn't get any bites. He actually he tr- he convinced the commissioners that uh, like Miramax was interested in it and stuff like that. I don't think anyone ever said they were interested in this film. I mean, that had to be bullshit, you know. So he he uh, he he doesn't even have a buyer for this thing, and they just hand him this money and move on. And uh, most of the money gets spent on ridiculous stuff. Uh, we're talking like uh, ice skating lessons for Paul Sorvino. Oh my pizza, god. Lots and lots of pizza. <laughs> I couldn't tell with his build. Yeah, you you, you would never know, right? Uh, and and crappy pizza too. Like like Goodfellas pizza. Not like like re- like not like Goodfellas. Pe- people eat Goodfellas sober. Like that stuff when when you're hammered you're like what chef do you have? Like who is making this like delicious greasy pizza for me? once the commissioners went away and stuff like that, it just became kind of a thing where, uh, you know, a local uh, newspaper journalist actually just started kind of hammering him in the papers all the time. Uh, he actually ran into him in the street one day and had a conversation with him, which started a whole other ball of wax. Like, the, uh, Paul Savino ended up going on the radio and fighting with the radio host about whether or not this movie was any good or coming out or whatever. Because essentially what happened is they did uh, release it in an independent film festival in Arizona, and uh, it was critically panned, and everybody hated it. It was the lowest-rated film of the entire festival. Uh, everyone said that what a terrible joke that it was, and uh, but really, it, it's it's one of those indescribable things. Like you really have to see it to understand how bad it truly is and how much it makes no sense. And so, finally, uh, the commissioners, the current commissioners said, all right, let's kind of put an end to this maybe. And so they called him up and basically said, can you deliver us a copy of this movie and so that we can at least show it locally? Because at this point, the money's gone. We're never going to get that back. At least let's have the movie to show the taxpayers what they paid for. Oh, God. like it or not. And I'm like, this, this is, this is amazing. That's, like, this that's like grabbing a dog and showing its face with vomit. Right, <laughs> right. And look what you did. <laughs> sure enough, he delivers within a month or two. Surpri- we never thought it would happen. Yeah, I never would remember when they showed the first announcement. I was like, that's not going to happen. This is the thing. is He just can't accept that he made a bad film. To this day, if you ask Sorvino about it, he thinks it's a work of art. He thinks it's amazing. Well, Where it is. Like, he's not on our level. It, it is. not on his level. We're not on his level, uh, clearly. Because, again, we finally showed here... 
people laugh during the entire film. Let me let me let me set the stage for that. So the film opens, right? Um, they did a, a, a pre. They, these were pre screening films, by the way, that couldn't even sell half the theater. <laughs> I wish I'd written that. In fact, the first that and that's just the first day. The other days, apparently, the turnout was even worse because uh, we have free movies. Uh, so, so we show up uh, expecting that it's going to be bad. And in the first two minutes, uh, Callie, who's um, I, I can't remember the actress's name, um, but she's a re- really pretty girl. She'll probably never work again because of her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, but she 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 comes in to uh, this bar. This guy who says that he runs the Mandalorian Academy, so uh, his name is Jedi Perrin, uh, which is uh, played played by Paul Trevino, and uh, it's I can't even begin to describe how bad this guy you, is. You posted a clip. I wanted to ask you this because you posted the, the the reels of it, I think. Yes, on, on the I actually have some clips of this. If you go to uh, uh, MKT's YouTube channel, it's uh, YouTube.com/slash/MKT. You can see there's there's two clips from the film that are unedited, uh, like they're the original, like the way that the, the original film was made before it got chopped down a little bit more uh, to try and cut out some of the mess, which obviously didn't work. And there's the trailer as well. Because uh, what I wanted to ask in, in that in that clip, uh, in the scenario with Callie crying, um, yeah, the, the mom was that how she played the whole movie? Okay, so here. Oh boy. Okay, <laughs> so now Callie, at first, you think she wants to be a model, and then halfway through the film, they decide that oh, she wanted to be a ballerina the whole time, and they throw in the scene where she's a ballerina, and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, where did this come from? Like, you <laughs> didn't throw, you know, you didn't put this in the movie. You know what they call saw Black Swan, and it's like, oh, that was a hit. That's that's uh, right. that's gross. <laughs> that's all this is, and it, it just seemed like uh, like n- not one character in the film, uh, I guess, is the best way I could put this acts like a real person in real life, like does anything that a real person in real life would do. Uh, all of the women beg, beg the men for sex in the film, not the opposite, which, you know, of course happens in real life all the time. Oh, this, Callie is this I, could, I could attest for that one. She's this, young, she's this young virgin. She has this older guy who's this coke-snorting scumbag, and she begs him for sex, and he turns, he turns her down. Wait, what makes him a scumbag? Coke-snorting? Because I, I don't... I mean, I. <laughs> That's what's making well, people scumbags. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he uh, he it, it, he has a scene where uh, he takes her up in a helicopter. Again, more money stash. Uh, the scene is completely useless. Uh, takes her in the helicopter. This is the second time that they've met, and uh, he says he uh, gives her uh, the the diamond that looks exactly like the one from Titanic. Although they don't mention it's the one from Titanic. It just looks li- exactly like the, the big blue thing from Titanic. And he gives it to her, and, uh, and he goes, I fucking love you. <laughs> and he snorts coke <laughs> while, while saying this. And she takes this. The, she takes <laughs> it's just so funny, the way that the line. Who? That's what I want to see. If he's, like, if he's behind the camera going, oh, this, this is how you're going to do a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> like this, and then saying, good, you got it. You nailed it. You nailed right. it. <laughs> Perfect. He takes, he takes her to like some weird shady warehouse where some guy dresses her up like Cleopatra to take pictures for what they say is for the cover of Cosmopolitan. Because, you know, the cover of Cosmopolitan has people dressed up as, you know, ancient Egyptian princesses. Because uh, that's what Cosmo usually puts on the cover. Uh, but like, 
every decision that they make is is unbelievable. Like uh, the 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 parents in the film, um, like the the the, the woman who plays the, uh, the the mother, she is just a drunk. So the entire film, it it seems like she's a person who's probably never drank in her life, who's trying to play an alcoholic, because she doesn't actually I know saw, like I what saw a drunk person really like. I, I know what right. this is like. Exactly. <laughs> like she's so over the top with the way that she's trying to like like pretend that she's she's drunk. Oh God! It's just like the entire thing. You know, she's like Wait, so that, is that stumbling she's around. Playing the drunk in that? Yeah, she's supposed to be like, yeah, like she because she's just drinking in every scene. No. Yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty accurate for Scranton already. The scene that you're talking about. This is a documentary. Callie. <laughs> I think that's why we all thought it was bad because it's really a, a cheap shot at everybody here, <laughs> as we're drinking beer and right. talking about beer and. Yeah, I know that Callie. <laughs> Who wants to go on a helicopter ride for the second date? right away he's not underage because he totally looks underage oh but my god has a boyfriend already who gets pushed over to the house in the stroller they get he's of age he's of age they get high on shrooms he has a scene where he is dancing with them while eating a bowl of cereal that's while natural that's natural blue, you know sure and uh <laughs> his wife catches him uh in the bedroom with him and they're like putting on together and like uh, doing their nails and stuff which just a few scenes earlier he was banging the, the kid's mother so you're like okay is he bisexual or are they going to address this no no we're not going to address this at all it's just it is what it is um, it, it, Paul Sorvino's other daughter is in the film who is an Academy Award nominated actress um, she has this horrible Russian accent like just out of like completely useless Russian accent, she starts. Uh, she she's the ballerina teacher who is uh, crippled and can't be a ballerina anymore. I guess that's mm. supposed to make her tragic in some form, but we know nothing else about her, so we can't really feel bad for crippled her. Crippled how? Uh, she's in a wheelchair. So she's still teaching. Yes. How? Like, <laughs> I'm. Do, I need to see this movie. Like. the scene is just it makes no sense there's there's stuff where you just like i would love if this came out for like tna i would love that would it. be awesome to hear like this is why we're going for it. Well, i you know, i think the only question would be why <laughs> oh why not because that might right. be even better than some of the stuff that we've gotten you know and the, the uh and then there's there's uh there's a, a really horrible gratuitous rape scene in there uh that's just thrown in amongst everything else that you're just like because at this point, you're just kind of laughing. Like, there's scenes that are supposed to be very dramatic where, like, they're cleaning and fighting and they're being torn apart. But you're just, you're, honestly, the entire crowd just burst out laughing through the entire film. Like, everyone just thought it was so hysterical because everybody's acting. Like, because Paul Sorvino is, is very much like he thinks he's, he's, he also has done theater. So he thinks he's, like, this great Shakespearean actor. So he's playing it with, like, these big, booming, like, you know, hand gestures. Acting. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, like very, like, 
you know, like you think of if you're parodying William Shatner, this is what he would be like, you know, and he's and he's throwing in this like like you know references to you know Shakespeare and all the all this other stuff like uh, Greek tragedy in there, things like that, and, and you get this feeling like he's trying to make the material better than it is, like he's trying to elevate it to yeah. this level of art that it's clearly not at at all, and then but by the end you watch random movies throughout. We'll throw this in, like in like for a rape, <laughs> because gratuitous rape scene thrown in there. Oh, maybe he watched like a kid on his grave or something. And but like, I guess what I wonder, like, did he like come across films as he was going, and say, oh, well, that was kind of a delusion. Let's do this, and then throw in something. Because <laughs> like, this, I don't understand. I don't like, and I don't think watching this is gonna make it any clearer to me. Yeah, I'm still gonna have to watch it, oh, but. issues that I don't think even exist because really no one owns the rights to this film because it's never been distributed. It's never been made by a real production company that actually has any real footing in this. And technically most of it was paid for by taxpayers but I think it really should be public domain really. I think the because the commissioners and the government around here knew nothing about copyright obviously they know nothing about film commissioning either which is why we have this in the first place. But we know everything about Paul Sorvino. So they, they <laughs> will allow the movie to be rented from the library, but only kept on the grounds of the library. You can't like remove it from the library, so therefore no one can copy it, get it on the internet, watch it otherwise. So like this great cult classic that like is just dying to be you know ripped apart. That's probably the only way he can make money again. Is if he if he allowed it to become the joke that it is. Well, and that's that's the and that's the worst part is that honestly I think his ego is so big let that happen. He doesn't want it to be a cult classic. He wants it to be revered as some great art piece that it's just not. So I think he would he would really hate that like even the suggestion that it could possibly be, you know, li- you know, hate, hated and loved at the same time like that. I don't I, I don't think he would get that. I think he would feel like it was an insult. And I can understand that. That was one of the issues that, you know, Mystery Science Theater had when when they initially, you know, is because a lot of people kind of caught on to what they were doing and started wanting to get money from it. Right. Because they knew, and they, their whole defense was like, look, like, you know, Stephen Hawking, like, he made a movie that no one would fucking care about. Right, no one would care. Yeah, Other no one would care. Like, look, we, we would at best be in a bargain bin with Hallmark and only in front of, you know, maybe you would see money. Or ask them to be like, you know, rent us some public domain and we'll make nothing. Right. And so they were like, no, we're throwing this part again. Some of these things are absolutely legit at some point. Like all of us have done, you know, if you've heard this episode at some point, you know, I mean, every week I can, I like, you know, I'm recording this, like there's times I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to say that. Or right. Or anything like that. It's like, just, you know, just kind of like, all right, you know. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that I, I think, you know, what bothered me and I think what bothers a lot of people is we don't just admit that we made a bad movie. Yeah. Like just say, all right, yeah, I made a stinker. That's what makes it worse, too. That's what makes it 
so much worse in a makeshift London world because then people want to grab you and scream in your ear. And you do not understand what you do. Because you, you start to think like something something is wrong with them. Right. And it makes you want to you know, protect more of that which is theirs instead of just being able to back it off in ourselves and let it become. And there's, there's so many movies that have become a laughable culture and that otherwise were absolutely terrible to write a film. And you just you kind of let it go. And once you kind of find its own footing, you lose it. Right. I remember it being like that. Have you ever seen the, the documentary, uh, is it Best Worst Movie, I think it was? Uh, the one about uh, Troll 2? Oh, God. Just about Troll 2? Yes, it's a, it's a documentary completely about Troll 2. You've never seen that? Oh, I, no. figured, I figured you of all people. I've seen Troll 2 numerous times. Oh, okay. Well, Everybody has to see Troll 2. It's easily the best drinking game <laughs> because every time the kid says Grandpa Seth, drink. <laughs> Like, he is a broken fucking record for that specific, those two words. That's it. Can you even really describe, like, what the hell this movie's about? Um, well, it's about, you know, this guy does coke and takes a girl on a date in a helicopter. I mean, it's <laughs> just as bad as, I, I still have to see Trouble with Callie. I'm, I'm very interested, but Troll 2, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's... It's one of those movies you can actually just sit there and watch, and you know it's bad, but you love it so much because it's that bad. And you can't piss on hospitality. Damn right. And you never want to go to a place called Nilbog, which, go- goblin backwards. Spoiler very alert. Clever. Very, very clever. I remember watching that, like, so it was like seven, eight years ago. Do you remember the internet rounds were doing like remakes and everything like that? Right. So we kind of brought it back in. Because I remember seeing when I was little, actually, because I remember watching, because I, I was a big fan of uh, Critters. Oh, Critters God. And, uh, what was that thing? Was that the other one? The Lip and Lock Off? Ghoulies? Ghoulies, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, Ghoulies. I, I remember watching those when I was a kid. Well, Ghoulies, I remember a lot when I was a kid, because I remember being scared of the bats there. The DVD cover, or the VHS cover back in the day where they're peeking out of the toilet. The, the Nothing. That's another one I think that that was. Uh, you're saying about the movie that Troll Two is meant to be a sequel? No, yeah, I, I, I believe they said it really, it really was and it wasn't. You know, like like they didn't really have that in mind, like the the original film at all. From what I understand, it was like I, it's been a few years since I've seen the documentary, but it, it seemed like uh, one of those cases where you know they got the the funding and here's where you want to do it and here's the time frame you want to do it in to like you know, crunch this together, and they use this small town as the town they film, they basically cast people from the town to do it. So they, these were people who had no acting ability whatsoever, they had no experience. Well, the, 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 the guy, the, the one of the main guys in the film is 
visit him at his, you know, uh, his, his place, you know, all these years later, and he's just gone back to being Dennis, because, I mean, obviously in no, you know, acting. Did he have growth control issues from his, from his upper stomach? Is that what you're asking? Well, what's funny is, is he honestly had no idea that it had become an alcohol coma after that. Like, he figured it was long forgotten. He got, he got to his coma real fast. And exactly. <laughs> I thought he'd be rolling in it by now. <laughs> things the way that they did, but the, the other thing was, was watching how uh, these people who turn into these, these cult icons then deal with that, because he never really had, obviously, any shame from this thing happening, but then him and the cast started going to uh, you know screenings of, of the film where people were lined out the door you know, to see you know, who these folks, who was the original cast and crew and things, and so he felt like this celebrity, but Kurt you see, you watch him, and he's like so excited and so happy to talk about it because it's like, here I thought I should be ashamed of this, and in reality he he absolutely, you know, uh, like loved the fact that people like you know gave a shit that much and like wanted his autographs and things like that, and then after a while you see him start to get conscious of the fact of that because he's going to all these cons, trying to honor, and then after a while it's like, oh man, like who cares anymore? Like I'm over it. Why aren't you people over it? You know, I was in the damn. <laughs> right, like it's it's really interesting to watch that whole process, and like you see the the one actress in the film actually like keeps seeing her doctor, like all the time, and they like try to interview her, and and she's trying to like like calm herself, and it's 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 it's, 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 it's crazy. The series is like reliving the story of Peter Van Winkle, right? If you haven't seen it, it's fucking amazing. Oh God, yeah, that would be frightening <laughs> if you were been that stuck way. in Novog. Her life is just constantly flies landing on her face. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> they're eating her. Now they're gonna eat me. <laughs> that, that's that's probably the scene. Like if you if you've never seen this movie, you've probably seen that clip online somewhere. Just like Garbage Day. Yes, Garbage Day is another big one. Uh, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. Uh, they did one to five, and even in the first one on the special DVD, uh they had actual letters from people that were writing, like bashing this movie, like they're boycotting it because. Oh, the, the first one? Yeah, there was a big uproar because it was totally fanified. And Mickey Rooney was one that wrote a letter in that he would never be a part of it, and he shows up in part five. Wow. That's funny. I mean, if you're hard up for you know money and Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 comes to mind that that's going to be your cash cow. The third one had Bill Mosley. There was a bunch of bugs. And I can't remember. It's been so years. I know. Yeah. Put out, and that's why they didn't get um, Buck Rogers. Yeah, Buck Rogers wasn't in it. I mean, 
because season one and two of the game were so bad. And but they only did it because they were gonna lose the rights to Hellraiser. And they didn't want to do that because they're still trying to do a remake. E- even even Fox is like uh, they're like we need another promotion or something and he's so honest about like which films are actually worth watching or not. Yeah. Even the ones that he was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. interesting just how you know you can still be known for these things all these years later and that you know these people will you know show up and, and you know tell you these these crazy stories i can't imagine being on that side of it you know i feel like donner and Nelson were you know publicists one, once yeah and right. they dropped it and you know, when you go to book and he's definitely he's but i think he's kind of one of the people that came to terms with it and realized i don't want to do it on screen sure you know he just wrote the book i think from like Okay, it's pretty good. It's about um, Steven Spielberg, and he was like, "Hey, this guy was like on another crazy program on Hellraiser or something." I never read it, but it's supposed to be a good a good book. But he kind of got to come to terms with that. There are some other ones you see that are really different from Spielberg that have nothing to do with what his character is or the, the yeah. way the film is. And it's like I can get you can see both sides because I'm sure they some things attempted. When you get Burton, like I, I can't imagine him doing a book. They annoy me and I'm not even in it. Right. <laughs> like, because they, they just get so over the top with stuff like that. But I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't care. And they just, they come up, because he did the beginning interview, he's like, yeah, people come and tell me stuff about my character. Yeah, it's like th- things that I didn't know about yeah. the film. And it's like, and I'll explain it to you guys. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, I'm like, hey, you're getting paid to do a book. Don't tell me how to do it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, he's like, well, I'll tell you when I'm done working for him. Doesn't even go into the sequels like no parents are gonna die because yeah. there's just so much I'm not gonna know until it's done. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I guess it, it leads to uh, you know Freddy Paycheck and you know conventions and things like that. But does you know a lot of times it, it seems like it also dooms a lot of these guys to like be in uh, you know routine yeah, uh, exactly. reboot hell and, and things like that where they're constantly doing these straight to video shitty DVDs uh, uh, where they're kind of almost doing a character that's kind of like the character they're known for, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I played a killer, so now I'm going to be in 20 movies where I'm the guy chasing the girl for half an hour, and it's just like, you know, how, that's that's got to get, I don't know if it's, it's boring and frustrating, or, or a combination of everything, I don't know, but it's like, I how would you do that? Russell Howard in that role, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Howard's in a movie, well, there's two things on that, one, one of my good friends, him and another friend of ours were in an argument, and uh, his ultimate put-down after that argument, he says, oh, yeah, I knew Russell Howard. How old was he? That was the discussion. Is he still in recovery from that one? <laughs> but he did, he did another, uh, Russell Howard did a movie, and I remember watching, and he still to this day is one of those, it's so bad, we have to watch it. I believe it was called Blind Fury. Yes, he was the blind swordsman. Yes. <laughs> that was beautiful. this like really cool badass way he's just unavailable he's just kind of walking around it just it doesn't make any sense and it was so bad it was definitely one of the Russell Howard's like how much are you gonna give me all right I'm gonna go home because that was the amount of time that it was all right I, I gotta ask you guys because I know you guys are big horror fans I do 
feeling about these females and these fights and all all these years later and dealing with these people that I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I am I am fucking on board for this. I was even on board for the Evil Dead remake, which I thought was very well done. There was there was little to no CGI. I think the intro was done CGI with the fire, obviously. Can't burn women anymore. I mean But even that one, that was just raw. That was it it was a lot like Evil Dead One. There was really no comedy to it. Um and it was just straight up like, you know, the one girl used a turkey carver to cut her arm off. That was awesome. Uh, but Bruce Campbell reprising his role, it's gonna be great. He's gonna be like that old guy that just doesn't give a shit anymore. He's like, Oh, I gotta go kill more deadites. Burn notice? No, before burn notice. No. Oh. Uh, uh, Briscoe County Jr. And Atolic uh was it Atolicus from Xena and Hercules? Yeah. Yeah, he had a sweet little stash going on. You missed out. You missed out on the Kevin Sorbo era. Oh, definitely. Oh, the fall of uh, Sam Ash or Axe? Yeah, Sam Axe. Fun burn notice fact. I'm sorry to butt in. The the lead character in Burn Notice was one of his first movies was Blair Witch Two. Yeah, I don't think he admits that to anybody, but. Yeah, because you got the gist of the first one. People run around. It, it was just a bunch of kids running around the woods with cameras, saying they're scared, and then. Yes. That was one of the first movies I did see like that, like where it was like very motion shaky cam. Yeah, I 
the one the good ones were movies that were like that back in the day and like really popular with like teenage kids or whatever. No, like no. It, it has no replayability whatsoever, especially when you get to the Lisa Turner remake of Ghost Rider. You know, it's it's the epitome of shaking the camera for two hours and dropping the camera. That's it. That's the ending, folks. Dropping the camera. That's it. Like it, they literally gave up. They literally just stopped oh, yeah. the film and were like, "Okay, we're done now." There was like we shot. That's a film. There was like ten minutes left at the end where you were gonna find out that Snape killed Dumbledore, and they just, just they just cut it. They're like, "We're done. We're done. Production. The twenty five thousand dollars we got ran out. Drop it. <laughs> we're done." But uh, Derek hadn't mentioned yet. We finished Heretic. Uh, Petit. Heretic. Heretic. I'm thinking Heretic from the days of AIM when Rich, that was your uh, chat name, wasn't it? It was something like that? Yeah, it was something like Heretic. Heretic, yeah. We should go back on AIM. We should bring that back, too. We should get back on Friendsters. No, Friendsters Friendsters on hold for now. Let's get sponsored by AIM, too. Oh, could you imagine that? Any PA scene sponsored by MySpace and LiveJournal? Where you could post like all your stories and whatnot. Ooh, surge! Surge is back. We could do that on Amazon. We could buy it on Amazon. Crystal Pepsi's coming back. Did you hear that? They're bringing it back. Oh God, I hope so. Yeah. See, whenever I hear Crystal Pepsi, I think of uh, Human Giant, uh, which was a comedy troupe of Aziz Ansari, Rob Hubel, and what was it Paul Paul Shear? He was on VH1's Best of. Whatever the shit was going on that week. He's great. I could see that. I I definitely think like that show was so great for its time, but it got cut short, and Aziz even mentions it on his CD because they talked about getting raped by a dinosaur. I mean, out of all the other skits they've done... Like the Crystal Pepsi bit, there was there was two versions of it. The one you saw on TV, and then the unedited one that was completely different. But for the time that it came out, wasn't allowed on TV because it it starts off Aziz and Rob walk in, and Paul is sitting there drinking Crystal Pepsi, and they're like, "Oh, you know, where'd you get that?" He's like, "Oh, I got it from my time machine." He points at his time machine in the back, and he's like, "Yeah, I went back to September tenth, two thousand one, and I bought the last case." And they they sit there puzzled looking at him, and they're like, you went back, and that's all you did, and nothing else. He's like, oh, I guess it just slipped my mind. I just love Crystal Pepsi. Like, it's 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 pretty awesome. Like, that whole comedy group, that was that was great. It used to be on uh, Late Night MTV. Yeah. I think that show would succeed now. You know, like, I, th- I think at the time, like, no one got it, and it didn't, find, a, it didn't find an audience. Yeah. Like, like, Escape was ahead of their time. Like, yeah. All these things that are, like, if they were around now, like, just how many girls can they fuck to achieve that time? Because, I mean, I look yeah. at some of the stuff they have on now that, like, you know, someone gets plenty of love and it's not bad at all. Well, it's know? plenty of attention. Yeah. <laughs> they should bring back Singled Out. <laughs> bring back Chris Hardwick. We don't need Jenny McCarthy, but bring back Hardwick. He was awesome on that show. Well, now it, everything Hardwick touches is gold. It. Well, everything Jenny McCarthy touches has herpes. So, I, but it's just like that show was awesome. I mean, it's it was basically Tinder speed dating.
absolutely killed. Eddie Gelfin? <laughs> no, that no, that was his uh, TV show. His name was Mike Bauer. Don't ask why I know that. Okay, we're rolling. <laughs> but uh, so here we have this guy who's definitely not that guy that you think he is. There's YouTube uh, of Michael Bauer in line to meet Kevin Smith. Like it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny because he finds out that he's in line. <laughs> but uh, getting back on track, we finished uh, Heretic Petit Rouge or Rouge, whatever you want to call it, which to me had. A nice, subtle, like a cranberry taste with a really dry finish. But uh, we are on Weyerbacher Blasphemy now, which is their Belgian-style quad Asian whiskey barrels. little boozier. Uh, you're getting a lot of whiskey out of it. The scent up front, you're getting, for me personally, I'm getting I'm getting both the whiskey and the quad, which I think they use uh, verboten. That's their quad, right? And... Uh, it's pretty fantastic. I mean, Weyerbacher has been pushing out a lot of good stuff lately, and obviously if you're in the Scranton area, they are only an hour drive south. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, I don't know how far the distribution is over there right now. I know that there's maybe relatively out there. I don't think they're like really, really small. We kind of, one of the things that's funny we have a brewery right around the corner is kind of seeing like how far away they are distributed. Right. Yeah, they just released their uh, pumpkin last Friday. Yeah, it's just like so, it's so very, very similar. Weyerbacher seems to be thriving. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you really yeah. need that pumpkin out there. And it's just, it, it's just still so weird to see that in, in July coming in that late. I don't know. It, it just, I'm getting a little more used to it with the, with the breweries that have been on. And they've, like, I've done um, write-ups on that at Cellar Ranch. And it's just like, you know, a lot of the brands basically just, My uh, my buddy is off work this week, so I've been working in their office, and I, I've been filling his, like, inside his office. We just took pictures of our friend, and I covered his, his entire office. And he just sent it all to my friend, and he's like, you're a scumbag. <laughs> it's great. No, just I just went through his Facebook and saved all his pictures and made a collage, like, I took one picture that you could print on an 8 by 11 sheet of paper, and I stretched it out like four sheets across and eight sheets down <laughs> is one of the pictures. <laughs> Here, I'll show you.
You guys are the one that talk all the time. I say like maybe three hundred words. This is this is my shining moment tonight. That's just the back of the door. Wait, did you did you are these individual seats? Yeah. Those are individual eight by ten printouts made into a huge photo. And that is uh fine photo at that with the, the beautiful portrait of that gentleman. Um and so this is this is eleven point eight. It feels even stronger than that. Yeah. It's it definitely and it has a, a lot of contrast. This is one that uh, we're gonna take out the bottle to to share it to the to share our friends to to, to view the last one. And George could comment himself. I've seen George uh, since kill his unicorn friends. <laughs> Just a couple two tree. <laughs> I think it's pickled at this point. I'm not yeah. worried about it. It's gonna get to that point where it just it doesn't matter anymore. Right. <laughs> I think he's I think he's at that level. But it's 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 it definitely has and this is eleven point eight too. If you let this age a little bit, some of those booziness will drop off and it'll kinda fall into being a really nice creamy, smooth, velvety shot. It's a it's a really good beer to have. And th- these are really good beers for the winter, um, that have a lot of strong alcohol notes but aren't dire straight. They're super heavy. But it's it's a really good it'd be nice to when this this just came out not too long ago, right? Is that is this a newer one coming or is this one they've been doing every year? No, this is one they've been doing every year. They just released Tiny in uh, 12-ounce bottles. So is this, a, is this a theme you have going here? Because your pear tip and your glass one. So I'm assuming that's... Oh, Dr. Ripper. That's <laughs> on purpose? <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's talk about the one thing that will alienate us both. Absolutely. No, I, uh, I, I'm i an atheist, so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the worst person to talk to about religion. <laughs> but I'm not one of those internet... What's up? Exactly, that's true. And I've, and yeah, it's it's gotten to that point. So I'm I'm like you know I'm definitely like very vocal about it. Like if you ask me about it, but I don't really like go out and like tell people what to think or how I feel about it as, as much as I'm I'm not. But that's where I think people feel the most uncommon or they're Like, like crusade. Well, it's just that I think in the time of the Constitution, like 
like this shit don't count. Right. That shit obviously. That's you where need it's to start saying you need to listen to me. Right. Because obviously he is now part of the musical problem now. Because like for example, he felt he had a legend that he kind of made his own religion of being a part of a legend. Right. And he wants people to follow and listen to him. Like that would really. Wh- which he was just did a song about that. Like on their new album. Oh, did they? Yeah, it's called Dawkins Christ. Oh God. And that's exactly what it's about. And and at, at first I was like, huh, well that's weird. You know, like I mm-hmm. figured they'd be into something like that. But then I I could see the point that they're trying to make, where it's like, yeah, it's getting a little too. If you're getting a little too fanatic, yeah, it's kind of you know like. Yeah, it doesn't if you, it doesn't matter what your question is. If you're being fanatic, mm-hmm. you're still gonna kind of lump into that whole thing. Right, because I, I it gets to a point where it's it's like you're not gonna convince anybody by yeah. doing that. You know what I mean? You're not you're not gonna turn the tables on them. You have to be a little more, you know. And and I'm all for being open and being like, you know, who you are and that sort of thing. But you know, it just it sometimes goes too far. Well, I think it gets in like we play around with like playing the radio stations and stuff too. Like you know, like especially with things like craft beer, we see that all the time. Like George and I actually were talking about this last night. Like we see these people all the time that are, you know, big brewery now, and it's like people are drinking Kolsch for whatever reason because it's not. Keeping things brewed in some some stew on the third moon of October. That's the only ones I drink. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you start to see a lot of those things going on, and it becomes like no one wants to listen to you. Like if, if no one wants to hear you do that, it's like if you want to get someone into anything that you're interested in, go find a melody, form a bond in that way, and then you know write it. Work from there. I used to just get a magazine for the 200 hours. <laughs> Remember those? They used to give that shit out left and right. Like, you know, it, it'd be packaged in on the magazines like, oh, 50 free hour disc or 200 free hours. Oh, like, dude, my brother and I, like, we used to microwave and smash them with baseball bats, like, all the time. Like, that's all you did. Like, I th- I think that's where all of AOL's money currently is in in <laughs> shattered discs. Oh God! I want to show people floppy disks now. Like I want a band to just be so fucking hipster that like they only put it out on like an eighteen disc floppy, and that's like three and a half songs. And like the last one is just a readme.txt file saying you have to buy these other ones, but we only accept checks to a P.O. box. And like, if you truly believe in our musical empire, well, that's like there was whenever you used to go, I forget what the band was called. I remember Peter, I think it was Peter and the Wolf. I can't remember what the 
big storage or something. I'm not, I remember hearing about it, I'm like, I mean, I know gas is kind of expensive, but, because uh, <laughs> that was in the middle of, like, when I was in the Marine Corps and I was in the Marine Corps, I'm like, well, I guess that's one way. I, I honestly, I remember them being somewhere near the gas. I think it was, like, on the Boston area. So you, you thought about it for miles. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, just to now think back about it, because I actually don't know why that popped into my head, and this is sloppy disk, but I'm thinking of, like, what's the, I gotta look up a fairly decent, like, that is a good thing to do. Like, to just kind of go by boat or something. Yeah. I don't know how that went either. I, I never actually followed up to see if, if uh, <laughs> But I, I used to, like, it was a three hour journey. In, in the, exactly. Yeah. Wah, wah. In, like, the early days of the internet, yeah, you'd get into the, like, you know, I, I, especially because, uh, like, I was a political blogger for years, so I would, you know, get into, like, rant mode and, and, you know, do these big detailed things and, you know, oh, you cite all these, these sources and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, most of the time what I found is, you know, the people who are going to like your stuff are stuff who are, are, are people who are probably already convinced that you're right. They're kind of leaning towards that way. Uh, and the people who are not going to be convinced by it are just not going to be convinced yeah. no matter how eloquent you are about it. You know, guys like, you know, Dawkins or Sam Harris or any of those guys, super eloquent, well-spoken, intelligent. You c- it's hard to disagree with a lot of the stuff they say. But at the end of the day, if people feel a certain way or, or, or they're leaning towards it, they're just they're going to continue to do it. It's very hard to convince people otherwise. I've only met a handful of people in my entire life that have you know changed completely. They've done a 360 in that sense, and there's a lot fewer out there that are, are really like that that are going to go through that you know in life. I think a lot of times you have to live life to have that be the right thing for someone. You can't just you know hear somebody say something and then it just pops in your head and you're, you're yeah. Your life has changed. A lot of times, you have to go through something. There has to be a personal choice or decision that goes on. It's not like maybe you hear something from someone that you kind of perceive or right. things like that, but you can't be someone and second in some meeting with someone, right? Because you're just you know it's going to put yourself in a position to find a conflict potentially. Because you're gonna if you if that's your intent, you're gonna get to a point where you're gonna get frustrated with the person not doing what you want. Yeah.
single gay couple would want pizza at their <laughs> wedding. Like, I, don't, I don't know any straight people either that would want pizza. Well, if they're drunk and it's after midnight, I mean, good fellas can deliver. That's natural. It was almost instantaneously. Yeah, it was so because they got like such backlash. It's like, yeah, well, the entire country is forward momentum right now towards everything going on. If you're going to stand up and no, I'm a Neanderthal. Like, <laughs> I just like these people who are like, you know, they're the, the Christian martyrs who think like they're, they're still being, oh, well, you know, them being who they are and them getting married or them being together infringes on my right to be Christian. It's like, where? At what point? You can live your life and be Christian and do whatever, and they can live their life and, and be gay and do whatever they want, and those things never have to cross. They never have to coincide. What is the, what is those, the those problem? Those are the people that enjoy being offended. Like that's what the problem is now is there is enough culture of people enjoy being offended yeah. because then it gives them a reason to talk. Like the people that are offended that uh, 19 Kids and Counting was canceled by TLC. You know who should have canceled the 19 kids prior? Mrs. Duggar. <laughs> and there we go. Abortion joke. Abortion joke. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good night. Tardy to the party, but it's there. I thought it was against molesting yeah. underage kids. No, I that that's just my, that's just my weird thought of. Yeah, he believed those kids could should have shut up. It's terrible, but I mean. He he molested his sisters. I'm I'm sorry. Like I don't, I don't give two shits about this guy. Like, and then if you if you go on TLC's website and Josh Duggar's website, like people are like, oh, I'm for you. You 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 know forgave yourself and you said sorry. Like, it. He said sorry, and everybody's believing. Like, what if Bin Laden came out and he's just like, you know what, guys, I'm really sorry about that. Like. It's cool, right? They it's that's always how it happens. The internet's really opened that up for a lot of people too. No, like, no, like, I, I, I have no idea where I'm going with this one, but like, you know, you, you got a lot of people that are downloading, you know, un- underage kids and everything like that. Like, it's, it's starting to become a more common thing. You're hearing more and more about, and it's crazy out there. 
school um, that had the, the question scandal or whatever, and there was a guy down south, I don't remember his face, that got arrested because somehow one of the girl's photos that was being sent around and that got sent to this guy who was like in his 20s, 30s, I don't know, he was older. Yeah. Rich, they 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 only sell six inch subs. They had a typo where they put six year old, but not. And you know that whole thing, like. Wow, and you know here, like that's that's a terrible joke. But I I just always thought you know since Jared was fat, he was always trying to get into smaller pants. Like I didn't know it was someone else's. I don't know. I still go back for the honey forest ham. Well, we're not going to yet. I mean, the night is young and I'm soberish, so. Are you all right? Hit home. Many a fortnight. Yeah, he got busted for pot. Like, he got busted for shit that's legal in parts of our country. <laughs> like, dude, you're getting a deal. <laughs> Yeah, like just listen to his dialogue. Yeah, the whole thing, and his eyes always like glassed over, like in the corner. I, it's just like there was nothing sarcastic in that. But with Jared, I think he's just being funny. He's just constantly showing people his feet. You know, he's like, <laughs> I could fit in one leg, and I could fit three other kids in the other. Right. Suppose alleged. Oh, he worked at Blockbuster too. There's like a JPEG of like three boobs on it. Like, it's from Total Recall. What the hell, you know? Like, and then and then someone else, you know, thought, you know, this is the guy that we need to head our franchise. This is the this is the spokesperson. Well, that was one of the things that they definitely probably didn't vet him too much. They're like, wait, how much did you weigh? Okay, how much do you weigh now? 
himself, like, all right, you're in. Like, he's good enough. Yeah, he chose to be in the band. And it's like, all right, this is Push Knot there, and that was it. Sink or swim, you're out there, buddy. And, you know, eventually, I knew that I wasn't going to be a top dude, but it, it just was, like, the whole friend thing. Like, if I was around anyone, and they even... Gave any sign. Yeah, that they were, like, into kitty porn, I would call the cops and get them taken away from them. Instantaneously. There would be no hesitation, like, oh, I've known him for 30 years. Like, no, fuck that guy. I'm done. What signs would you think, like, he was looking for? Like, did the guy, like, suddenly go the speed limit near, like, a school or a (laughs) playground? Like... He knows everything about like all the upcoming kids' movies. Yeah, I can't wait for Home to come out. And oh, and there it is. <laughs> now we're there. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I think our uh, glasses are empty now. Riches isn't. Well, he did show up late today. I will be in Chicago, hopefully not getting shot. Um, I am uh, anywhere in Chicago. You can get shot. Um, I will be touring a couple breweries and then going to see Manchester United play Paris. If I don't get shot. I I have no words. <laughs> You're putting me down six feet, not six years, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. About six inches. Wah, wah. <laughs> All right. On that, I'm just going to wrap it up. This is going to be a fucking disaster. All right. Yeah, have fun editing this one. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. <laughs>